Hey folks, Analog Mike here and welcome back to our podcast for our second episode. Today I sit down with Digital Len to talk about my photo shoot at the Tinkal Bridge. To see the image that we are talking about here today, follow the links in the show notes below to the blog on our framefocusphoto.com website. Anyway, sit back, relax and enjoy the show. You're listening to another episode of Frame Focus Photo with Analog Mike and Digital Len. Hey Len. Hey Mike, how are you doing this morning? I'm good, how are you doing man? <laughs> yeah, good thanks. Yeah, good. How's Hong Kong treating you this morning? Good, it's a bit cloudier than it has been the last few days and um, still humid as ever. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's um, still a nice day. We had a bit of rain in the morning, um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's it looks like we might be in for a few days of rain now. Yeah, yeah same this side. I went out for my normal five k run this morning. Halfway in, started raining. Oh, good. Nothing like getting back nice and soaked and uh, wet dog. Yeah, smell of wet yeah. dog's not a good thing first thing in the morning. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but good. Cool. Cool. Oh, cool. um, so yeah, we said we wanted to chat about uh, your Tinkau Bridge uh, photography session over the weekend. Yeah, yeah, we do. Um, uh, so I, I know you've got a whole bunch of questions lined up, uh, so I'll be under the under under scrutiny. <laughs> As always, eh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, good. Cool. Um, so yeah, Tinkau Bridge, what made you decide to go and photograph this area? Uh, yeah, uh, so the bridge is something I've seen quite a few times in Hong Kong, and I've always thought it'd make a nice subject, a nice architectural subject. Um, and uh, I'm shooting uh, pictures for one of the themes for the, the Cafe Camera Club, uh, which is long exposures. So I thought the, the bridge uh, paired up with a long exposure would be a nice picture. So that was the motivation. Okay. Um, and the planning leading up to it? Yeah. Uh, I must be honest, uh, on Saturday when I went, uh, you know, it was sort of a last-minute decision. I say last-minute. It was at lunchtime. I looked at the weather. I thought it was really great. And I thought, well, where can I go? I thought, I've been wanting to photograph Tinkar Bridge for some time. So uh, today, that uh, Saturday was the day to do it. So it was really just a short afternoon of planning. Um, I had looked at it before, but uh, using uh, the photographer's ephemeris app and um, Google uh, Maps and Google Images search, I sort of chose the location that I wanted to go, uh, which was Lido Beach, which is on the north uh, western side of the bridge. And that, that that meant I'd have the light sort of over my right hand shoulder. So it was a nice uh, location for the light. Okay, nice. And um, just for our listeners, um, Tinkar Bridge, obviously based in Hong Kong. Uh, you, can you give us a little bit of history behind the bridge itself? Yeah, uh, the bridge is part of quite a big infrastructural network in Hong Kong. It was built at the same time as the Tsingma Bridge. Um, uh, and those two bridges, they serve uh, the airport, obviously the new airport, Chek Kok, which is not that new anymore. It was finished in either 97 or 98. Um, but it also serves road traffic 
from new territories and mainland China into the Hong Kong ports, the Kowloon Peninsula and Hong Kong Island itself. Uh, it's the busiest road link in Hong Kong and obviously from an infrastructural point of view, quite important. Okay. Uh, you know, I know things like for us here in Scotland, trying to get around during COVID-19 and um, essentially most of the world being on lockdown, um, we're sort of limited to almost a five mile radius, if you want to call it around our house, uh, yeah. for non, uh, non-essential non travel, you know, visiting family and things like that, as I'm sure the most of the, the world is. Yeah. Um, what's Hong Kong like to travel in this sort of time? You know, uh, Hong Kong's never been officially in a full lockdown. Uh, they had restrictions, um, I think, in March and April, where you couldn't be in groups of bigger than four people, and the restaurants were very limited in terms of how many people they were allowed to have in them. Uh, but we've never been in a full lockdown, and uh, we've been very fortunate here that they've kept the uh, number of infections from COVID down to a bare minimum. And I think, you know, that's mainly down to the experience dealing with SARS, um, which is a similar sort of virus. um, So, yeah, we've been quite fortunate. Okay. I mean, I remember traveling around Hong Kong last year. You're almost shoulder to shoulder in the MTR with other passengers. Yeah. Um, And at the moment? Uh, Yeah. I mean, the the trains are still uh, basically as busy as they've ever been. Oh, okay. Yeah, and even the buses. You know, there's no tourists yet at the moment, uh, which this time of year would normally be a very busy time, tourist season. Um, so it's uh, maybe a little bit quieter, but, you know, if you go to town during the week, the train is as jam-packed as it's ever been. Yeah. Okay, first I am. Because you're out in Tung Chung, so obviously getting into town, it's not really a lot of... Tung Chung's not really a touristy area. It's more as the guys are living. Yeah. Yeah, and so, yeah. yeah, but once you get to town, you know, you'd expect to see a lot more tourists this time of year, but obviously not with the pandemic. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Um, yeah, so tell us a little bit about your equipment and what you decided to take with you for the shoot. Yeah, okay. Uh, so uh, I took a Pentax 645 with me, which is a medium formats camera, um, and just uh, for folks who aren't familiar with that, that basically means the size of the negative because it's a film camera. The size of the negative is uh, any size bigger than 35 millimeter full frame. And with this particular camera, the negatives are 4.5 centimeters by six centimeters. Um, And uh, what I actually did is I got a Kipon adapter, which allows me to use Hasselblad 500 series lenses on that body because the Hasselblad lenses are fantastic. They're Coles Ice uh, lenses, and they, they're just optically fantastic. So it was it's a nice combo. I do have a Hasselblad body, but I don't enjoy using it as much as a Pentax 645. I think the Pentax body handles a lot better. Okay. Um, and you yeah. say obviously shooting um, film in cheese. I haven't shot film probably <laughs> since I was a kid, talking... 20, 25 years ago. Yeah. Um, the decision to use film and I mean, where do you even buy film these days? Yeah. Uh, so I shoot more of my work on film now than digital. Um, and there's quite a few shops in Hong Kong serving uh, the analog community. Um, there's sort of one 
business in particular that's a cornerstone of the analog community here called Camera Film Photo. And they're one of the largest wholesalers uh, of film in the world, actually. Um, and probably, or almost certainly, the largest seller of film in Asia. Um, and so, yeah, there's a good supply of film in Hong Kong. Uh, there's quite a few labs here. Um, uh, quite a lot of the labs are still able to um, process and scan your film to a very high standard. So we're, we're quite lucky in that regard. Um, but analog photography around the world is taking off again. So all over the world, you're hearing more and more labs available that uh, do high-end film processing. Um, okay. In my particular case, all the black and white stuff I process at home. I used to do the color, but it's a more temperature-sensitive process. So I find it easier to let the labs do the color stuff for me, and I process my own black and white stuff. We'll definitely have to do a podcast on that, um, the developing process. Yeah, yeah, it'd be very cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, and uh, so for this uh, photo shoot, I chose Fomapan 100, which uh, I think it's a Czechoslovakian film, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and it's, in theory, a more budget-friendly film. Well, there's more budget-friendly. It's less expensive than the high-end producers like Kodak and Ilford. Um, and uh, in normal shooting conditions, it's a, it's a very high-quality film. But uh, I had some issues with it on the shoot at Tinkar Bridge. Um, so okay. I'll, probably, um, I'll probably end up going back to Tinkar Bridge and shooting with a different film stock that hang, yeah. handles long exposures a bit better. Okay. Um, I mean, telling us about the actual setup for Tinkar Bridge, um, you know, for our listeners, if we will have the link to the, the photo that you've given us um, in the description. Um, the actual setup, the composition from Lido Beach, quite an interesting photo. Um, decision behind that? Yeah. Uh, so uh, from Lido Beach, you have a nice view of the bridge. Uh, and uh, if you look at the frame, the bridge sort of goes diagonally through the frame. Um, and then it's got sort of one of the roads that lead up to the bridge on the island on the opposite side of um, the water leading up to it as well. And then you've got a, a hillside uh, that's visible directly behind the bridge. That's uh, Tsingyi Island. Um, and then to the left of that, you've got some buildings in the far background below the bridge line, uh, which is uh, Chunwan area and a little bit of Tsingyi Island as well. Um, I was a bit worried about those buildings being in the composition at first because during the daylight they were quite bright um, because they, you know, the the facade of those buildings is painted white. Uh, but as the light fell. Uh, they actually blended in quite nicely and they weren't too distracting. Uh, then on the bottom of the frame, there's a little bit of water and you'll see on the top of the bridge is quite a lot of sky, which is not exactly what I had in mind initially. Um, I wanted more water in the frame, uh, but the Lido Beach is a swimming beach and they've got these orange boys in the water to uh, mark out the area that uh, people can swim in. And uh, those uh, were quite distracting in the foreground. So that's why I ended up angling the camera up and, and getting those out of the frame. Um, so it's not exactly what I had in mind. Um, 
another th interesting thing you'll see with that picture is uh, in the bottom center, there's like a circle. It's just barely visible. Now, the Pentax 645 is an SLR, and generally with SLRs, when you're doing long exposures, you should cover the viewfinder, and I didn't do that. So I think that's where that little circle on the image is coming from because it's visible on the actual negative as well as the scanned image. Okay, and I see that's the, the circle you're talking about when you zoom into the main pillar there on the bridge. Yeah. Um, yeah sort of almost like a shadow light um, just running through the bottom of the, the photo itself. Yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. Okay, interesting. I actually hadn't seen that um, until you mentioned that now. Could look at these things a little bit closer. Yeah. Um, so it's, yeah, I mean, the, the long and short of it was uh, I was happy with the location um, for the most part, but uh, I need to refine which film I'm using and maybe try different angles on the bridge to see if I can get a better, uh, a bit more water into the composition. Mm. Yeah. yeah. As I always say, if you find a nice subject um, to try and shoot it from different angles and keep revisiting it yeah, as much as you can. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's really good advice, Len. You know, if you if you do find a good location, there's definitely value in going back uh, and shooting it over again. Mm. Uh, with the film photography, um, you were talking that you had done two shots, uh, one about an eight-minute exposure, the one we got here, and the 40-minute exposure. Um, yeah. Obviously, you haven't sent us the 40-minute exposure. What were the problems you had with that one? Yeah, okay. So... Um... First, for our listeners who aren't familiar with film, uh, when you do long exposures with film, it suffers from reciprocity failure, which means the longer that you expose it to light, uh, the less sensitive the film becomes. And so the first exposure that I did, uh, I had an orange filter and a 10-stop ND grad. So that's about 12 stops of light that you're losing. Um, and once I metered the scene with taking into account the filters, I was getting uh, a 17 minute uh, exposure required. And uh, the FOMAPAN recommendation for a long exposure like that is at least three stops of reciprocity correction. So I would have ended up with, you know, nearly a two hour long or even more than that uh, uh, exposure. I thought, well, I'll experiment and only go with 40 minutes. Um, because sometimes the data sheets are ultra conservative, but the 40 minute exposure was actually way underexposed. Uh, I could only just barely see uh, detail on the negative, it was very thin. Um, so then I did a second one, which is the picture that you see there. Okay. And uh, for that one, I removed the filters completely. Um, and with the filters removed, uh, the meter reading was about two minutes. So I corrected that by two stops uh, for reciprocity. Again, the data sheet recommended uh, three stops, but I wanted a slightly darker image because it's a nighttime image. Um, so I went with only two stops of correction, and the exposure actually came out quite nicely, I thought. Um, you know, you've got the bright white lights along the edge, of, uh, along the bridge, um, and you can see the bridge itself, and you can see some detail in the water. You can just barely see a bit of detail on the hillside on the opposite side of the bridge, and then the buildings in the background. Uh, the sky, I lost a bit of detail, and I think 
I think that's something to do with the Fomapan film not managing the long exposure too well. Because uh, I've shot these sort of long exposures on Ilford and Kodak films, and that you know you tend to uh, retain the the details in the sky a lot better with those films. Uh, with this Foma pan, it's almost a bit blotchy. Yeah, and in terms of metering for this photo, are you doing that manually still, or um, using a cell phone? So. For the very long exposures, I'm doing it, um, yeah, with a, a cell phone meter. The, the meter is called, I think the app is called Light Meter. They've got a free version which works very well, um, or you can get uh, the paid for version, which is a little bit more, but it uh, has a few more facilities. Um, the Pentax 645 actually has a built in meter, which normally works very, very well. But for these ultra long exposures, it obviously can't, uh, it can't meter for those. So I, I meter for that myself. Okay. Um, and then correcting when you're using your filters and that, um, how do you adjust for that? Um, well, uh, okay. So the orange filter, um, would take two stops of light. So for instance, if you were exposing an image, um, say with ISO 100 speed film, uh, and you are using an orange filter, there's a couple of ways to do it. You can hold the filter in, in front of the meter and uh, meter the scene through the filter. Uh, that's probably the most accurate way to do it. And then, you know, trans transpose those uh, exposure settings to the camera. Uh, the other way to do it is to, um, you know, orange filter requires two stops of additional light. So if you set the ISO on your meters to say ISO 25, uh, then it will automatically add those two stops of exposure without holding the filter in front of the meter. That works fairly well uh, too. Um, so that's, and then if you uh, have a camera like the Pentax 645 and you're not doing ultra long exposures, the great thing about those cameras is you can just have the filter on, on the lens and the camera meters uh, through the lens TTL metering. So it compensates for all of that. Uh, so there's okay. a few different ways to manage uh, the exposure compensation with the filters. Nice. And this photo itself, are we going to see this um, on your website and available in your store? Uh, yeah, well, I think the first image we'll probably put up on the website just so people can, uh, listening to the podcast, can see what we're talking about. But I think uh, I'm going to try and make a better image uh, before I put it up in the store. Uh, you know, I'd like a, I'd like a, an image uh, with... Like I said, uh, aim and not having the, the the circle in the bottom of the image from the viewfinder being exposed to light and a better tonality in the sky and, and maybe a slightly better composition as well. So I'll be going back and uh, trying to make a better image. Well, we're looking forward to that. Um, so what sort of suggestions would you give guys that want to get into this long exposure photography um, using film? Uh, yeah, uh, okay. Um, you know, there's a, there's a couple of advantages of doing long exposure with uh, film. 
Uh, and if you have a film camera and you want to try it, the film that I'd recommend people start with is Fuji Acros 100. Uh, and the reason I say that is Fuji Acros 100 up to two minutes long exposure has no reciprocity failure whatsoever. And then anything longer than two minutes, it's only half a stop of correction. So it's uh, really ideal for long exposure. So that's a good starting point. It's not a very cheap film, um, but if you know if you want results and you're inexperienced, it's a good place to start. Um, then obviously, from a camera point of view, uh, it needs to be a camera that you can put on a tripod. Uh, needs a bulb setting, and if you are shooting an SLR camera, then uh, remember to cover up the viewfinder when the shutter is open. Um, so that you don't get any um, light leaking through the mirror box onto the uh, film. Okay, great. And as you know, I love the the bridges and that that you've been doing and showing. Um, bridges is one of the projects that I'm trying to look at here in Scotland over the next few months. Um, yeah. Probably even up to maybe the next year or two. Um, yeah. You know, Scotland's got gee, probably just under five thousand bridges. Um, just in Scotland wow. itself. And, wow, 5,000, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah, and if you look some of the longer ones, uh, well, the nicer, more well-known ones, the Queen's Ferry Bridge, that's only about two and a half kilometers. We've got some span bridges up to 14 k's. Wow. Um, wow. But my sort of interest is more these smaller ones. It's like your little footpath bridges off the beaten track. Um, so yeah, I, yeah, I enjoy yeah. seeing different, um compositions and different ways of taking photographs of these bridges yeah that's, that's great cool. yeah do you come across some of these bridges like on your morning runs and stuff like that that's it yeah um and quite often if i'm going to go out driving somewhere i'll just do a quick google search and see if there's any bridges in the area that look nice um, yeah a little bit of that's, a detour and off you go yeah that's really really cool yeah um yeah, well, we we're looking forward to seeing some of those <laughs> images i mean uh you, you, when you see pictures of Hong Kong, it's easy for you to put it in, in context because you've lived here and, and you know sort of what sort of things I had to photograph. But uh, yeah, Scotland, I've never been. It's a whole, uh, it's a whole new uh, world. <laughs> Definitely worth the trip. Come and drink some whiskey. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, uh, I mean... The, you know, I've often seen uh, some beautiful landscape work from Scotland, the Highlands and stuff like that as well. So, um, yeah, some very beautiful yeah. areas, aren't you? Yeah. Is, uh, is there anywhere that people who've never traveled to Scotland can sort of see online? Have you seen other photographers making images of these bridges and stuff? Or um, is this sort of an idea that was an inspiration just from traveling around the local area? More just traveling around local area and that, but uh, you know what, after this, I'll have a look and see if I can find one or two. We've got some very good photographers here and part of the groups that I'm involved with. Um, and I'll see what posts they've got and I'll put it on the link um, on yeah. the website for guys to have a look at. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah, it'd be very cool. Great. Um, otherwise, anything else you want to add, Mike? Uh, no, not really. I think we've uh, covered... Um... Covered the shoot and Tinkar Bridge fairly well. Uh, yeah, uh, obviously, if people have questions, they're welcome to email us at frankfocusphoto at gmail.com. 
and we, we can answer any questions they have about long exposures, about researching sites to photograph, how to go about it, uh, what kind of gear to use. Um, I mean, obviously, we uh, and both of us photograph digitally and then I do film. So, you know, between the two of us, we have exposure to most formats of photography. Um, yeah. Uh, well, one thing about your uh, Scotland Bridges, um, you know, both of us uh, shoot in the Fuji X100F. Uh, is that the camera you had in mind to photograph with it? or That's exactly the camera that I'm going to use. Yeah, um, I, I just find it's quite a nice wide angle and it's very good quality that you can get back out of that camera. And it's also light, easy, because a lot of it you're going to be walking and traveling. Um, yeah. So it's a lot better than taking a full frame DSLR or something like that. Yeah, I think it's an awesome choice. It's really, it's an amazing camera. It's uh, definitely my favorite digital camera of all time and, and possibly one of my favorite cameras ever. It's a remarkable camera. I think we'll have to do either a blog post or a podcast about that camera because it's, it's really special. Definitely. Yeah. Right, well, fantastic, Mike. Cool, then. Uh, well, it's been great chatting with you, man. Uh, you too. Yeah, uh, so uh, yeah, we will have this up on the website and the links uh, for listeners to follow so they can have a look at what we're chatting about here. Yeah? And uh, yeah, they can drop us a line if they have any questions. Great. Well, thanks, cool. everyone. I'll speak Take again care. soon. Okay, cheers. Thanks very much for tuning in to this episode. To see more of what we do, follow us on the web at www.framefocusphoto.com or on our Facebook page and Facebook community. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter using the handle at framefocusphoto or get in touch via email framefocusphoto at gmail.com. The royalty-free music is Airport Lounge by Kevin McLeod of incompetech.com.